Coop, we need an update on your life, specifically on College Pick'em. That's right, Zach. Talk to us. I've actually received a couple texts from some people asking how I did, and I realized we recorded that before, so it went out last Monday. Right. It was already over. Like, I already knew if I'd won by the time the episode went out. No way. We were were actually ahead of schedule, people. Well, then let the listeners know. I am the champion. You did it. I won, Zach. You did it. I I ended 411th in the world. So Okay, so you didn't move up at all? Uh, Bummer. I know. Sorry to let you down there. No, I might have actually went down. I I think I got six out of, or like seven out of ten. I think on the last one, six or seven out of ten. Okay, I mean, but en- enough to secure myself a snack for the meeting for the rest of the year. Good for you. But you were number one in your league. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Good for you. And on a completely different note, Zach, I have something else to tell you. Okay, there's another achievement that I've begun in my life. <laughs> Talk to me, Coop. Well, I went to the dentist. Okay. Uh, it was horrible. Uh, it always is. I mean, there's. I, I don't understand. You spend so much time in dental school and you just, you can't make dental visits pleasurable. Like gums and teeth look so different. Yeah. Why is the metal hook finding my gums? <laughs> you know? Yes. It's just hit the white part and not the fleshy part that looks like there's nerve ending. This is a joke you say to a lot of people, but it's like literally you had one job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please just clean the teeth. Region. Just my The teeth. problem is they're so overzealous. They're like, I'll clean your whole mouth. Yeah, like just, just the teeth. Sir. Yes, 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 yes. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to front on them, Zach. I hadn't been flossing. <laughs> so, so as you do, when you go to the dentist, you get the same question every time. I literally go, do you, do you I, floss? I go, look, before you ask, I haven't been flossing. <laughs> I, literally, I literally told, I love told the nurse and she was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, what, what did they say after that? Did they um, obviously prescribe floss? So, it's like the school nurse always prescribing ice. Yes, exactly. It's like, okay, yes, I need to floss and brush more. What else do you right. want me to Well, do? I'm a faithful brusher, Zach. I mean, two times right. a day. Oh, yes, me too. Like, it's my J-O-B. <laughs> but it's apparently not enough. Not enough. Um, so, there's like, I have some teeth that are actually on watch. Oh, what does that mean? That means they might get cavities. Oh. But they were on watch two years ago as well. So I'm kind of like, I haven't been lost for the past two Hot years. Hot take, dentists are a scam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I brush my own teeth, you know? know. But um, anyways, I was like, leaving the dentist, had my free floss in hand, and I was like, what if? Yeah. Nobody actually flosses. Think about how white your smile could be. Unless you're a dentist, you don't floss. No. If you're an honest human being. If you're, but if you're in the... um higher category right you floss the week before <laughs> oh yeah oh i floss every day before i go to the dentist right exactly and i brush for at least 10 minutes of course <laughs> you are it's it's the procrastination it's yeah. the last minute prep yeah. for the test yes and i was like what if i just flossed for mm-hmm. i was like i want to make myself a case study okay like there will be books written about you like you, you will pioneer. they the, just the man who flossed <laughs> the man who flossed like would they actually notice if i floss so i've been flossing for about a week now How's it going? I floss once a day. Do your gums still bleed? They don't anymore. Okay, so you so I'm, I'm a resilient. I've got some resilient gums now. Nice. Uh, there's still a part where it's like that in between those two teeth hurts. I don't right. know if that's probably bad, but I don't know. I still never floss. floss there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm unexperienced. I'm like, okay. So but I'm like shocked at how much visible food particles because I so at night I'll brush my teeth, then I'll floss. Right. And I'm like seeing food particles on the floss. I'm like, so, so far you've seen benefit. From um, I've seen that there would have been food left, but I'm like. There's no way, like, there's no way that that food has stayed there for two years, right? Like, my saliva probably would have dissolved it, it has, anyway. It has to come out at some point. Right. I'm not I'm not an advocate for floss. I'm just like, man, there was food in between my teeth. Now there's not. I think that that's been happening anyway. Because right. I'm like, 
I would have massive backup, you would think, right? Totally. So I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm yeah. just like, are birds real? Is flossing real? <laughs> There's so many questions. Yeah, and I I would want to know the next time you go back after this case It'll study It'll probably be two years. I mean, let's, okay. just, let's just be honest. After flossing every day, faithfully. And let's be real, I already haven't. I haven't flossed every day. Almost but every day. I'm like a 70%. <laughs> like, 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 I mean, if you would let me finish my sentence, sorry. It's, I mean, you can't, no one flosses every day. I'm not no. a perfect man. We know. No, okay. I'm doing the best but I can. if you floss 70% of the time for the yes. next over two years. You're right, right, right. Because it's going to be over two years. I mean, yeah. Would they still prescribe flossing They're like, more? you need to keep flossing. I'm like, if at that moment, I will never floss again. If I yeah. walk in and they're saying, hey, you need to floss your teeth, I will say, you are a sham and I will take my money and go. <laughs> and the last two years have been a waste of my time. Right. I'm going to bring you down. But it'll be worth it because all of you guys will know. Yeah. Well, thanks for being a pioneer. You're, for the rest you're of welcome. Us. If you have any, if you're a floss company and you're wanting to sponsor someone, I'll be your man. For the next two years. <laughs> For the next two years. And then we'll reconsider. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm, I'm with you and I wish you well on this journey. Thanks. Don't join me. It's not necessarily worth it. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Coop the Flossmaster McCullough. How we doing, Coop? Um, feeling good. My teeth are feeling spacious. They're looking especially white tonight. Did Yours you get just, them cleaned? Uh, yeah. I mean, the dentist. They I didn't did actually work. tell a different. It looks good. Thanks. It was like a couple weeks ago, being honest. Oh, <laughs> Anyway, Coop, we've got a great episode today. Ah, uh, yeah. Kind of like my dentist trip. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. I think it's a little better. I would agree. I would too. I would say nails on a chalkboard probably are better than <laughs> dentist. I mean. Probably. Anyway, uh, we have Mr. George C. today. Mm. Let me tell you, Cooper, one of my favorites. I, I came into the studio today thinking, <laughs> is today the day? And I was like, of course it is. It's always the day. And, and one other reason why it's a, another one of my favorites is because it's an in-person interview. I went to this man's office. Wait, people are still meeting? I know. Together? It was so nice to be able to walk into his office, meet him face-to-face, distanced apart, of course. Couldn't yep. shake hands. Had to wear a mask in the building. But Did you? What was your greeting of choice? A nice uh, wave? I, an I, air bump? I'm, I'm kind of a head bow guy. Maybe like a chest bump? A head bow. <laughs> I kind of like the, the the slight head bow. Do you vocalize namaste? or I, I don't internal? say namaste. I say it's nice. I don't lose eye contact, Oh, but I just kind of tilt Because that's head. when they draw their sword. Exactly. If you lose, you take your eyes yeah. off them. And I keep my two hands ready. That's right, of course. So I kind of head bow. It's very good to see you. Very nice to meet you. I don't know. It's kind of a... Fold. If you've been on the podcast before, please leave a review. Not on the podcast, but how the greeting was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, if you've been a guest. Anyway, today we have Mr. George C. He's the chairman and co-founder of Anadel Capital here in Dallas, Texas. It's a wealth management company and investment firm, and, and he does very well with this. And another cool fact about him is that his grandfather was the governor of Texas years ago. Oh. So he comes from a line, he talks about this at the beginning, a seventh-generation Texan. I mean, this blood man runs deep. Deep in the heart of Texas. That's right. And so... He's just, he was fascinating to talk to. And what we talked about was investing in your life, whether it's financially and whether it's in your future leadership. We spent the first half of the interview talking about money, what he is good at. And I'm going to have to go back and re-listen yeah. because I just couldn't keep up with him the whole time. Especially since like you have so much money. It's just really hard to like, it's hard to upscale probably I mean, what I'm he just, said. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out You're what. You're like, so I get it with thousands, but how do I do it with billions of dollars? <laughs> yes. And he just like couldn't relate. So like, right. You know, of course. Yeah. No, not. 
not true at all. But we talk about investing and I'm like, I went at it with the approach of, hey, I just graduated college, just got married. Here's our situation. A lot of our listeners are, are freshly graduated or in college or in college yeah. and they're looking at what to do with money and what to do when you get your first real paycheck. Yeah. And he gave us really great advice on what to do, where to put your money, how to save and then how to even invest a little bit yeah. so you can start preparing. Let your money do the your work. Future. Let your money do the work. I Come mean, on. and so then we move into kind of how to invest in your future leadership, how to prepare yourself to lead one day. And he talks a lot about great books. He's read how to find great mentors and different pieces like that. That's got him to where he is today. Because yeah. I think it's a, it's a part that people miss is that you're you are in a constant state of becoming something. That's right. And you get to choose now what that what you want that to be. And you can choose to be something great that leads people towards a, a cause that is noble and good. Or you can be something somebody that leads people away from that and down dark paths. And, and you get to decide that now. And it's the same with your money. You right. can decide to spend it all on lavish vacations and cars you can't afford right now. Or you can save it to prepare yourself, set yourself up for success in the That's future. Right. And it's not a one-day right. transition. Never. It's Every day you got to wake up and choose which kind of man or woman you're going to be for the day. I love it. And George gives us incredible insight in how to do that. So let's let him do the talking. I, I agree. Scared money don't make money. That's too. exactly what Connor Lanham would say. <laughs> That's right. I love that brother. <laughs> well, here he is, Mr. George C. Well, Mr. C, George, thank you so much uh, for being here and being willing to do this. And let me ask you some questions. I want to start by letting you just introduce yourself. Kind of who are you? How do you get to where you are? And, and what are you doing here in Dallas, Texas? Well, I'm George C. And I'm a seventh generation Texan and fifth generation in Dallas. So deep roots here. Uh, seventh generation sounds super important. But all it means is that when my ancestor got here in 1819, that he was broke running from the law or both because nobody came <laughs> to Texas in 1819. But we've been well established here for a long time. I'm married to my wife, Gretchen, and we have six kids between us. We're the Brady Bunch, three boys, three girls. I love that. It'll be easy to give advice to people in their teenage years and 20s because all six of our kids are between 15 and 28. So I, I know that age category super well. And maybe even some of my kids will listen to this and, and uh, give me a rating of, of whether the advice is any good or not. I just hope they're the American judge at the Olympics and not the East, your, your each East German judge. That's an old right. joke that the Russian judge or the East German judge always gives twos and the American judge typically gets nines or nines or tens. It's a little bit easier on our side of the ocean. <laughs> That's right. I've got a global investment company called Annadale Capital. I started 22 years ago. I worked for the U S state department and was a lawyer before then, but we've been doing this for several decades now investing all over the world. And I'm chairman of the Clement Center for National Security at the University of Texas, which is a patriotic, conservative, but nonpartisan center that tries to get young people to go into national security careers, whether with the government or in academia, or to mm -hmm. encourage young people to teach the subject matter because it's gotten out of favor. And we mm -hmm. also convene and have lots of very distinguished speakers come speak to us, including ex-presidents and secretaries of state and CIA directors and defense secretaries and senators and things of that sort. And then I'm chairman of the Texas-Israel Alliance, which is a group, nonprofit group, that tries to increase the amount of business going back and forth between Texas and Israel. And then I'm on the board of the business school at uh, the University of Texas, which is called McCombs, after Red McCombs, who gave a large gift to the school. And I was chairman of that 
board for a while. So I, I tend to be involved in family and business and then a lot of nonprofit pursuits. That's great. And as you can tell, you're, you're a juggler. You got a lot of things on your plate. So just from that right there, how do you juggle everything on your plate, whether it's Annandale, whether it's all the other nonprofits, for-profits that you do time-wise, how do you balance time with at work and even with your family as well? Well, I'd, I'd love to tell you it's easy, but it's not. It's especially hard when you're young, because when you're young and trying to start out and build a career, you have lots of eyeballs watching you to see if your work ethic's good and whether you stay, get get there early and stay late. And then you want to have a personal life. If you're single, you want to date. If you're married, you want to take care of your family. And then if you're married, after you have children, you've got heavy responsibilities with your kids if you want to be an actual parent or see them turn out well. So right. it's it's... It's more art than science. When you get to my age, I'm 53. If you own your own business, which is a, a luxury um, from a time standpoint, because you control all your time. Right. So time's not quite as pressing now as it used to be. But I do like to juggle. I like to view my life as speeding down the road at 200 miles an hour while throwing balls up in the air to see if you can catch them while you continue to drive. So it's, it's never dull. There's a lot going on, but I have a lot more fun that way. Right. Well, that's a great analogy to put it. And you also mentioned a few things, seventh generation Texan, your, your ancestors found the promised land early and they stayed, but you also, your grandfather was the governor of Texas and, and that's part of your story as well. Were y'all close? What was that like growing up uh, and, and him being governor and, and such and such? Well, I didn't know him very well as a young person because my grandparents got divorced when I was seven. Mm. But at 19, uh, he and my mother offered me to be his travel aide on his last governor's campaign. And we traveled all over Texas, more than 60 towns mm. you know, all across the state for several months. And I got to know him super well. And we were really close after that. And I knew him super well, spent a lot of time with him and he had a great career. He was the longest serving governor in the state at that time. But mm. before then, he had founded the world's largest oil drilling company called Sedco. And he had also run the Department of Defense as acting or deputy secretary of defense for four years. And then after he was governor, he had a long career in philanthropy, giving money away. So he had mm. he had four careers and a very full life. And apparently he liked to juggle, too. Yeah, I was about to say. And my dad was a distinguished lawyer here in town who also loved to coach sports for kids and his father before him was a uh, distinguished lawyer who who had two cases before the U.S. Supreme Court and was a distinguished alum, alumnus of the University of Texas School of Law, where he was salutatorian and Phi Beta Kappa before then. And he most notably, he was a prosecutor at the Nuremberg trials, which most young people haven't heard of, where Nazi war criminals, including people as high as Hermann Goering, who was the head of the Luftwaffe hmm. in World War II, were prosecuted, and most of them condemned to death. So the U.S. prosecution team there was only seven people, and he was one of the seven. So it's a very distinguished role he served there. Uh, I mean, that would be a crazy story to be a part of those trials. I can't <laughs> I can't imagine uh, doing that. But I want you to talk a little bit about Annandale. What do you all do here specifically? And then even what does Annandale mean? How did you all come to that uh, that title or, or name for the organization? Well, I'd love to say it was a it was a carefully uh, crafted name, but it wasn't. It was actually, written in the stars. Yeah, We actually started trying to find a name for the firm after the first name of my firm was C Stewardship and Investment Company, which was kind of a mouthful. But I like the concepts of you're not just investing, you're a trusted steward of someone's money. Mm. So you're supposed to take care of it, but you're also a servant of the owner of the house, so to speak, or the person with the money. But we changed the name in 2005 because my employees wanted the firm to be 
survive my demise if I were to go away right. <laughs> and reflect the whole firm and not just me. So we took my name out of the title and then we started looking for other names. And I found out very quickly there was a Wall Street Journal article about this, whether it's a private equity fund or a hedge fund or any other kind of investment vehicle. All the good names had been pretty much spoken for. Right. <clears throat> so I started with Pecos Capital because that's a river and a mountain range in West Texas. And I kind of wanted a Texas connotation. And then I found out Pecos means crooked in Spanish. So I thought <laughs> that that's not going to be very good for sales and marketing. So yeah, not in Texas anyway. I moved on to Caddo Capital, which is a lake, uh, the only natural lake in Texas, in East Texas near, uh, oh gosh, where is it near? It's kind of near Longview, but there's another wonderful historical town near there. It's near, and it's near the, near the Arkansas border. Uh, and I found out that of all people, GMAC, the the financing arm of General Motors, had already federally trademarked that name, so I couldn't name my firm after a lake or an Indian tribe in East Texas, which Caddo's were an Indian tribe as right. well. Then I went to Scotland because I'm half English and half Scottish or Scotch Irish, and there's a town in Scotland called Turnberry, and there's a castle there called Turnberry Castle, and that's where. Robert the Bruce, the king of the Scots, who liberated the Scots from the English and at the Battle of, Battle of Bannockburn in 1306, I believe. That's where he was born. So I said, that's great. And then I found out there was a real estate uh, firm in Florida called Turnberry Capital that already federally trademarked that name. And for your listeners, if someone buys a federal trademark, registers a federal trademark, you, other people can't use the name. Right. So we finally got to Annandale, which is the region of Scotland that he was from. So that's uh, that's the the uh, meaning behind the name. Goodness, a, a kind of roundabout story to get to uh, the name you're at. It's a wonderful name and a wonderful company. And you do a lot of investing and you're a market watcher. And I want to ask, as a young person, as a college graduate, and a lot of college graduates who listen to these episodes, what should what is your advice to someone who's young and looking for a career, started getting a salary, and starting to get into investing? What would your advice be to them? Well, that's a big subject. Um, the first couple of pieces of advice are uh, pretty simple. Uh, number one would be try to get out of college debt-free. Right. And in your 20s, try to learn and save as much as you possibly can. And those two things don't always go together. By learning, if you have the money and the time and the effort, try to get a, a graduate degree because that gives you a higher level of opportunity in terms of what you could work at someday. Uh, in business, that'd be an MBA. In law, that'd be a JD. In medicine, obviously, be an MD or an accounting degree for accountants. And then in finance, there's a designation called Chartered Financial Analyst or CFA, which is the highest form of financial analyst designation you could get and very difficult to acquire. So I'd, I'd, I'd look after that. And then on the personal finance side, the earlier someone can can start funding a Roth IRA. You can fund, fund those with earned income. Any money you put in a Roth IRA appreciates uh, tax-free. And then when you take it out, it's tax-free as well. So if you start saving in your teenage years or your 20s and you don't draw from it until you're 70 years old, there's this concept called the eighth wonder of the world, which is compounded interest. Right which means that if you take the number 72 and divide by whatever your annual return is, that's how many years it takes you to double your money. So it's it's mathematical certainty that if someone is able to save around $200,000 by the time they're 40 or 50, they'll be a millionaire by the time they're 70. In fact, they might be a millionaire several times over just by putting it in 
the, the markets and getting low fee ways to do that and then just letting it go forever. <laughs> right. I, I mean, Roth IRA, that's what I was going to ask you about is would you uh, suggest a Roth IRA over just general investing in companies and into the stock market? Well, you can invest in the stock market in a Roth IRA. There's right. lots of ways to do that. I would suggest a Roth IRA with any extra savings before anybody does anything beyond that. And the simplest way to do it is just buy index funds, which are almost costless. And by that, I mean S&P 500 index funds, Dow Jones Industrials index funds, MSCI, which is a global index fund, or emerging market index funds to where you've got a broad diversification across different stocks. And then just never touching them, just adding to them over the years and letting them work for you because stocks over a long period of time go up. Mm -hmm. There's only been one I think one 10-year period in history, the stocks didn't make money. And there's been no 20-year history where stocks didn't make money. And sometimes they make as much as 15% over those amounts of time. And at a 15% annual return, someone's going to double their money every five years. So you just want to put the money aside and let it go to work. Right. I mean, it's a smart plan to do, especially when you're young and, and just graduating. So talk even about diversity in that, trying to diversify, say, your portfolio or where you're putting your money. How important is it to spread it out over a, a wide range of different uh, fields and places of study? Yeah. So academic research would tell you that most of the benefits of diversification come from owning around 25 investments in the stock market and obviously not in the same industry across a whole lot of different industries. The S&P 500 has 500 stocks in it, so that's more than you need, but it also represents the 500 best companies in the U.S. And I would say you probably should diversify even more and not just have U.S. companies, but have some companies overseas too. So when foreign markets outperform the U.S., you get exposure to that as well. And age is a big factor too. When you're when you're under 40 years old, I would argue every investor should have 100% of their money in stocks because they've got a ton of time left to make the 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 eighth wonder of the world compounded interest work for them. It's only when you get to be around 60 or 70 that you need a healthy component of bonds to go with it. To where bonds are pretty much they're not risk free, but they're really close, and they're going to make a much lower return, but they're going to keep the money safe. And as you get closer to retirement, you want more of your money in risk-free investments. And then an investor who's got quite a bit of money to invest should look at private investments like real estate, oil and gas, especially oil and gas minerals, uh, and growth private equity, like investing in private companies. Yeah, I, yeah, there's so much there and there's so much to dive into. But talking about financial planners or someone to help you come alongside you in your financial planning, would you advise that? And also at the same time, you mentioned putting all of your money into stocks. What is the importance of having like a rainy day fund savings, but then having the majority of your money in stocks when say you don't have much, you're just a college graduate, you're, you're figuring out, you're even paying off debt. Uh, you mentioned having it all in there. Is that smart or should you have some pulled out? Uh, and where should you start? Well, that's a great question. There's there's actually two types of savings. One that are retirement savings, which you can't withdraw without penalty anyway, unless right. you're going to buy a house or I think they're emergency medical expenses or or an exception too. But right. I don't classify that as savings. You're just going to put that away and never touch it. So you need a, a cash uh, checking or savings account with as much money as you sock into that to where if you have an emergency, you're not high and dry and in trouble financially immediately. And 
for people who are able to save uh, well enough, they ought to save, I think, at least six months of expenses before they allocate more money to investing. It's better if someone can fully fund a Roth IRA, which maximum amount you can do is 5000 a year, and build up that rainy day savings fund at the same time. But before you start getting into anything else you want to do, you really need to have those two things funded. And then once you start having children, you need to start funding a 529 plan, which is also money that's tax-free once it's in there and you pull it out tax-free to pay educational expenses because for young people who don't have children yet, uh, sending kids to college is, is a crazy expensive thing to do. And you want to, you want to not assume your, your child's going to be smart or, or precocious enough to get a scholarship or other kind of financial aid without borrowing money. And you want to sock away as much as you can into that too. So you find out really quickly as a young adult that, that you don't want to put money ahead of other things in life that matter more, which to me would be faith and family and friends and living life and enjoying life and learning about a lot of things, but it is critically important to a to eliminate a lot of the risks of life. And so you got to take it super seriously. And it's a, it's a real measure of a man or woman and their maturity and their ability to handle a productive, responsible life in terms of how well they handle money. Yeah. And I think the six months there is a good buffer period, but also talking about the tax side of the Roth IRA versus just general investing, because I think that's the big benefit, if I'm not mistaken, of having the Roth IRA or having those special funds is that whenever you do take them out, they're not taxed. Is that correct? Well, a normal IRA, which if someone has enough money, should fund that too. Right. And a 401k, if it's not a Roth 401k, those are taxable when you take them out. You get a tax deduction on the front end for putting the money away. So it's an immediate benefit. But on the back end, it's going to be taxed at whatever your ordinary income tax rate is. So it really varies product uh, to product. And it, there's a formula by which you can determine which to fund. And when you're young, you always want to fund a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k because you have the beauty of com- compounding your money working for you. If someone was going to start funding their retirement account in their 60s, they'd be much better off doing the 401k, uh, regular 401k or regular IRA, because although you're going to have to pay taxes on the back end, you get a big deduction on the front end for doing it. You don't have enough time to build it up high enough to make it worthwhile to not get the deduction on the front end. And there's really two benefits to, to an IRA or a 401k. The first would be you can't touch the money. So you can't get it out. You can't go buy a speedboat with it or do do something silly with it. The second would be it compounds tax free, whether it's a regular Roth, uh, a regular IRA or a Roth IRA while it's being invested. You don't pay capital gains taxes or distribution dividend taxes. Uh, And then the final is that if it's a Roth, whether a 401k or an IRA, there's no tax on the back end. So there's multiple benefits of doing it. There's so many benefits to investing now for your future financially, but there's also a lot of benefits in investing in yourself personally in, in your leadership. And on a leadership podcast, would love to ask you what advice you'd give to someone who's young to invest for the future personally and, and to invest to further their own leadership. Yeah, that's actually more important than, than financial investing. It's always nice to have money and savings and all those kind of things, but your life, the quality of your life is really going to be a lot more determined by who you are and who you who you hang around with and who you listen to and what you choose to do. And there's just a lot of flexibility and individual choice related to all those things. So I'd, I'd say if you want to be a leader in life and you want to do things that, that build leadership traits, number one, you need to hang around with leaders. Mm. 
Number two, you need to develop some mentors, people who've, who've gone before you and, and done things and been successful and get them to advise you or give you their thoughts on, on what really makes the mark of a true leader and how to develop that. I heard years ago from a family member that there's three things that, that can help determine a really successful life. The first is energy. You really can't accomplish or do anything significant unless you've got a lot of energy. Right. You, you can work hard. You can take care of a lot of things, do a lot of things. So that'd be number one. The number two is aptitude. You've got to be really good at something and hopefully something you really enjoy doing. So it fuels your energy because you want to keep doing it. It's not a burden to do it. And the way you do that, obviously, is time on the planet. The longer right. you do something, the better you get at it. They say it takes 10,000 hours of practice to get really good at a musical instrument or some mm -hmm. other discipline like that. And so it requires a lot of time. Um, so that would be number number two. You, and usually somebody should give themselves until at least their mid-30s or early 40s to determine whether they've really reached a super high level of achievement or expertise in any particular area. And then finally, integrity. And I would say that's the most important thing. This, this relative of mine said – if you got all three of those, you're going to have a highly successful life. But if, if you find, if you meet someone who's only got the first two, but is lacking in integrity, that's a very, very dangerous person to stay right. away from because they're going to, they're going to accomplish a lot in life, but it's probably not going to be good stuff. It's right. going to be negative stuff. So, and what I mean by integrity, uh, I would say if someone's a religious person uh, following the tenets and and values and morals and rules that you'd find in the Bible, whether going down from the Ten Commandments to the Golden Rule to Christ's Two Great Commandments, things of that sort. If you're not religious, I would say it's being a person of honor where it, your word is your bond and nobody has to get you to sign a contract to have you enforce something. You, a handshake's good enough. Uh, you speak the truth. Uh, you're reliable. When you say you're going to be someplace at a certain time, you're going to be there. And uh, discipline where you, you persevere, you don't quit, you're courageous, and you you just enjoy people and are kind and empathetic to other people. And that that's a lot of characteristics, right. and it's really hard to have all of them. So it's not just kind of environment, as they say, you know, nature versus nurture. Some of it's nature. Some of your genetics and the way you are, you're just stuck with it. But a lot of it's environment and nurture, too. In other words, the kind of people you hang around with and the environment you live and work in. And, and you want to make really wise choices on uh, who you work for, who you spend your time with, what you read, what you put in your brain, what you watch on TV. There's there's just so many factors involved with that. I love the old Texas cliche, those that run with the dogs get fleas. <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that. You want to, you want to soar with eagles. You don't want to run with uh, with uh, stray dogs. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> run with dogs. You get the fleas. You don't want the fleas. You mentioned two things in there: books and mentors. First, I want to ask about mentors. How do you find someone to or to mentor you? How do you ask them, and what do you look for in a good mentor? So. I've got personal experience here because when I was your age, I was too full of myself and, and cocky and arrogant to think I needed a mentor. So I really never had mentors when I was early on in life. When I got into my 40s, I met a bunch of people in their 60s and 70s who were interested in me and were willing to spend time with me. And I probably was too old to call them a mentor, but let's just say trusted advisor or someone who just really had wise counsel and sage advice and wisdom and I'd spend as much time with them as possible. I think that you find out the right kind of mentor just by 
identifying people that you look up to and you think are worthy of of looking up to and just ask for their time. Most mm-hmm. most magnanimous, good-hearted people will do that for a young person. All they have to do is ask. And if someone refuses to do that, they're either too busy or they're the wrong person to talk to right. anyway. Most mentors are willing to advise and counsel young people and bring them along the way. And it's also important to, to zone in on maybe not people who are just like you, but people who have common interests and common values and mm-hmm. in, in for people of faith, common faith, and to where you're going to have a, a unified starting point in which to talk about things and, and you won't have to reinvent the wheel in terms of getting to know each other and finding out what's important. Um, but you got to be flexible here too. If, if you've identified a mentor and you listen to them and every piece piece of advice they give you isn't any good or doesn't right. work out, maybe right. you ought to pivot and go find, find a somebody new one. else. So um, they say though that that too many counselors can be a source of strife or confusion. So you don't want mm-hmm. 20 mentors, but you probably want more than one. It's, right. it's good to have probably two to four, somewhere in that range where you've got a small cadre of trusted advisors that not only give you advice, but you give them a you you give them the power of accountability over you. If they see something wrong in your life or something you're doing wrong, they have the the liberty to speak to that and say, "Hey, I think you're screwing up here," right. and you have the humility to listen to them when they do that. Right. And if you're starting to get fleas, you know you're running with the wrong dogs, as well they would said. say. Yep. And uh, on the flip side of that, books. I think books and reading is so important to to learn and grow when you're young. What books would you recommend to young leaders, whether it's investors or just leadership in general? Well, when I was young, I really liked fiction a lot. I liked The Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the Narnia series, uh, The Sword of Shannara series. Uh, I liked some of the classic books like, uh, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, Treasure Island and Kidnapped and uh, Robinson Crusoe and The Count of Monte Cristo and things like that. So those are all really fun at a particular age. But it, at some point... I got to where I really liked biographies and histories a lot better. Hmm. Number one, because it's real and it's real people doing real things. And number two, you can almost identify uh, mentors, even if they're deceased, that you can learn from just reading about how they handled things and what they did. So uh, I think great biographies are a great way to, to really develop your mind and learn more about the world and learn more about what's going on and learn not just about the facts, but about culture and the military and the arts and music and literature and all sorts of stuff that build a comprehensive, holistic, capable person in the world. Somebody who's not two dimensional. Like you see a lot of business people who all they do and think about in life is business and they don't really know anything about anything else. And the American Renaissance man, so to speak, knows a lot about a lot and mm-hmm. invest the time to get to that position. And if I were to throw out a couple of books um, that I'd recommend wholeheartedly, one would be Blood and Thunder about the conquest of the American West. And the, mm-hmm. the protagonist in there, who's the great hero, is Kit Carson. It's just a really, really great book. Yeah. And I'd recommend the trilogy on on President Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris. They're very long books, but they're incredible. And right. Theodore Roosevelt lived one of the all-time great American lives. And then I'd recommend Robert Caro's unfinished four-volume biography of Lyndon Johnson because um, not that I'm advising people to emulate Lyndon Johnson's <laughs> character because yeah. he was lacking it quite a bit, but it's just a great – 
history of America in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And it's, it also reveals a lot of things to avoid in life. Some of Johnson's big um, shortcomings were that his father had a failed career early on, and he had a real father wound over that. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of insecure coming from an impoverished background when he had no need to right. feel insecure. So not being insecure in life and not having a chip on your shoulder are good things to avoid. And then Johnson was very arrogant and prideful, and he also wasn't a faithful in a lot of ways. And there's just a lot to learn from all that. And a couple others I'd mention would be Citizens of London about the American leadership in World War II. And that's just a really spectacular book. But I, I could go on and on about books. There's just so many things to dive into. And uh, there's there's millions of books, and there's only... There's still thousands, but there's a lot less that are really life compelling uh, right. narratives that you can really learn a lot out of. So you want to pick wisely what you read and why. I'd add Primere Christianity by mm. C.S. Lewis, <clears throat> which is kind of the quintessential 20th century book on Christianity. And I would add Prodigal God and Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller, which are mm. respectively about uh, uh being redeemed when making bad choices in life and also about spiritual pride and how how to avoid that uh, moral pride. And then finally about idols and what idols are and how they can trip you up in life. Yeah. There's so many good suggestions in there. And I think a lot of people are intimidated by the size of a biography, but I've really gotten into biographies recently. And I'm actually about to start one of the ones you mentioned, one of Edmonds on Theodore Roosevelt. And I'm really excited to start it because you learn so much about the character of a great person. and You get to learn from the successes and mistakes of the people who have gone before you and before you walk into these seasons of life. And so, yeah, thanks for throwing those out there. I, I love biographies and would really encourage any of our listeners to, to dive into those and to learn about about the history of where we come from and, and why we do what we do. I want to ask you one more question just as we as we finish is what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? The 20-year-old George C., the University of Texas, what, what advice would you give that person? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think number one would be don't be prideful. Mm. Don't be overconfident. No matter how good your resume looks or how much success you've had, don't be full of yourself. Be humble. There's a there's a chapter in mere, in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity called The Great Sin. And it basically said that pride was the original sin because the Lucifer or the devil fell from heaven because he wanted to be God. And the original sin of every man or woman is to be full of self and prideful and want to be God, take mm. the place of God. Right. And that sounds star- harsh and melodramatic, but it's, it's really true if you dig down to it. And that sin of pride leaks into every other form of bad behavior you could ever fall into, whether it's cheating or lying or stealing, because it's all about self and you're trying to get something for yourself at the expense of your character or the expense of someone else. And, Uh, I think that the wise man or woman is someone who's humble and how C.S. Lewis defines humble is not that you think lowly of yourself or have this kind of, oh, woe is me visage where nobody wants to be around you. It's that you you don't really think of yourself at all. You're thinking of other other people and you're trying to give into give back to other people. And it's been a psychological truism that the more someone thinks about themselves, the more unhappy they are because Mm -hmm. it's human nature to think about all the things you wish you had or you think you should have or you're lacking in and you get kind of bitter. Whereas if you're thinking about other people, you're you're investing in other people's lives, you're you're um, 
helping them live, live fulfilling lives, and it's very satisfying. So right. I'd, I'd say that. I would say maintain your integrity at all costs, and that's a lot harder uh, than it sounds. It's easy mm-hmm. to say. It's harder to do. I would, for me personally, say uh, just live every day by the golden rule, uh, doing to others as you would have them doing to you, and follow the two great commandments, which, again, is very, very, very easy to say and very, very, very hard to do, right. which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's frequently asked, who's your neighbor? And the uh, the Good Samaritan parable is, is who defines who your neighbor. You've got a Jewish man practically dying on the side of the road, having been beaten to a pulp, and the person who comes to to save him is a Samaritan, which in, in, in the old times, after the the uh, nation of Israel was carried off into captivity by the Assyrians, when people came back and settled northern Israel, the southern kingdom was called Judah, uh, all sorts of people filled that area. They intermarried and interspersed, and right. Jews or Hebrews were all about maintaining their purity and being 100% Hebrews. So they loathed and looked down on the Samaritans people of Samaria. Samaria was that particular area. And um, so the parable is showing how the Jew's worst enemy is the one who saves him. And that's the way you look at who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is everybody. Mm. It's the neighbor you don't like talking to. It's somebody who's working against you. It's as well as your family and your friends and people who are easy to be around. So that's a really hard and high standard. Um, I also would say, don't take yourself too seriously. Mm. Just be real lighthearted and relaxed about yourself. Take life seriously and what you do and how you do it seriously, but don't take take yourself seriously. And then <clears throat> don't put an inordinate amount of pressure on yourself and don't be stressed about your current circumstances because life's a long time and what may seem to be the end of the world today, five years later, won't seem important to all. Hmm. And be extremely patient Life's a long time, and you've got plenty of time to build a wonderful life for yourself. And when you're in your 20s, just learn as much as you possibly can and find some mentors and develop healthy practices that that craft and mold and shape and harden your, your integrity. And in your 30s, make sure you're in something that not only are you good at, but you love doing. So that's that's more challenging than it seems, too, to find a job and a career that's very fulfilling and pays the bills and provides for your family if you have a family by then, but also has some upside and and that you just really enjoy doing. Because the one of the secrets to having a career is not feeling like work is work at all because you do it anyway, right. even if you weren't getting paid to do it. And you, you race into work every day because you like it so much. And that's really, really hard to accomplish. But really try to make a move career-wise in your 30s. And in your 40s, try to be in a position where uh, you're a person of impact and you really get things done and you're really starting to hum in your career. And then in your 50s and 60s, really hit the gas and mm. and excel and cap out your career. But don't be hyper-focused on career. Be focused on reading and activities you like and raising children the right way and and travel and, and becoming the kind of person that, that people find interesting and like being around and where you just you put another brick in the wall of your life, so to speak, every year mm. and try to avoid years where you fall in the ditch. We're all going to have years where we fall in the ditch, whether it's loss of a family member or divorce or sick children or right. bad life errors where you make big mistakes that, that hurt you for a while. But 
you want to have as few years of those as possible. And when you do have a year like that, learn from it and dust yourself off and, and brush yourself off and, and get out of the ditch and start up again and just maintain a really consistent path in life that reflects your values and your family and your heritage and who you, who you really want to be at the end of the day. And, and finally, I'd say that it's a lot easier to make progress when you're younger. You have more energy. You have more time. You have more chances to make mistakes and all that. And, yeah. and one book in particular is full of examples, especially of men, because it was very male oriented, but, but people in their middle age, fifties and sixties who made catastrophic errors. So I'd follow what the apostle Paul said. And you, you not only want to live a good life, but you want to finish well, you mm-hmm. want to run sprint all the way through the tape, all the way through the finish line of life. You want to fight the good fight. You want to keep the faith. You want to finish the course. And when you're young, it's hard to appreciate that, but it's just, it's important to have that consistency in life because there are, they don't call it the middle-aged crazies for nothing. Right. Usually when you get 20 or 30 years through life and you start to feel your, your mortality and that you're not going to live forever, people start doing rash things and you want to have well-established your character and what you do and why you do it by then to where you just sail through that and, and race all the way through the finish line. I love that. And uh, finishing well is a great place to finish. And uh, you mentioned the eighth wonder of the world earlier is that doubling your money over time. But I'd, I'd say the ninth might be investing in yourself, in your leadership. And once you get that, you know your character, you know your principles, and you hold fast to that. And you're not prideful. You maintain your integrity. You don't take yourself too seriously. You don't put too much pressure on yourself. And ultimately, you finish well at the end of life. And I pray and hope that we all take that advice. We heed it. We do that in order to finish well one day. Well, Mr. C., Thank you so much for your time. This has been a blessing and an honor to to speak with you. Great to be with you, Zach. Thank you for coming in to do this. Of course.